Well, thank you, Christian. Thank you for leading us in worship, and thank you for joining in this morning. I was in contact with uh, Pastor McClellan um, yesterday, and I promised him that I would bring greetings from Oregon on his behalf, and he and Cynthia are visiting their newest grandson. And so uh, we are excited that they have that opportunity and uh, miss them when they're gone, but uh, glad that they could make that trip. And so he sends his greetings. He is praying for uh, this congregation today and uh, while they are enjoying time away, thinking of home at the same time. Well, it's good to have the opportunity to share with you. I thank the pastor and pastoral staff for this opportunity to to share with the congregation. Now, last week, Pastor Jared had an evaluation form uh, as part of his class, and I didn't bring an evaluation form. So if you have criticisms or anything you want to say about the message, you send it to my email. Um, it's on the screen. And uh, <laughs> then... Uh, I'll be happy to address all of your concerns and problems, so. Just flood my email tomorrow, that'd be great, that'd be great. Is, is, he, is he smiling? Okay. Well, today, uh, next week is the sun, first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the four Sundays prior to Christmas. And so, today is an odd Sunday. It's kind of like that Sunday between Christmas and New Year's that you never know what to do with. And so, this is one of those Sundays as uh, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving came uh, at a time when uh, it it put an extra Sunday in between. And so, I thought for today's purpose, we will uh, stick with the Thanksgiving theme, if that's all right. The pastoral staff has done a great job putting together a theme for Advent and I really didn't see any sense in me trying to, to insert anything into that. They've done a great job, and it starts next Sunday with the choir, as Pastor Jessica has already announced. We'll be sharing The King is Here, and as part of that service, we'll begin lighting with the first candle, the Advent wreath. And uh, so you'll want to prepare your hearts. And so part of my prayer for today is that we would prepare our hearts, not only talk about Thanksgiving, but begin to prepare our hearts for the season that is ahead of us. Really, we're in it now. We call it the holidays. We have Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's just around the corner. And so we have this entire season of celebration. And it comes with so many challenges and difficulties. And and uh, sometimes work is busier or maybe it's less. I don't know. Financial challenges. All the things that come that can lead us and lead our hearts away from perhaps experiencing the best for this time. So for this morning, I, my attention is drawn to Psalm 100. Christian has included that in our worship for the last two Sundays. Psalm 100 is entitled, it bears the inscription, the Psalm for Giving Thanks. And it's worthy of note that it is the only Psalm that bears that inscription. And so it's worthy for us to focus our attention, if we're talking about Thanksgiving, on Psalm 100. Some have referred to it as the old 100th over time. Over the course of time, this song is psalm is one that would have been sung in services. Certainly, uh, in the ancient of days, the church leaders of old recognized that it was vital for the people of God to sing such a psalm. Matthew Henry said, it is good, good with good reason to sing this psalm very frequently in their religious assemblies 
And this is a key part, I think, of this quote. For if our hearts go along with the words, we shall make melody in it to the Lord. This is my prayer for us today. I will admit to you that during this time of year, I am reminded of a certain tension that we feel with the message of Advent and Thanksgiving and the New Year and all of the celebration that happens and the reality of the culture in which we live. There's a famous introduction that I've read over the years that sums it up in my mind. And if you paid attention in sixth grade English class, you'll recognize it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, and it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope and the winter of despair. We had everything before us, and we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, and we were all going direct the other way. Of course, you recognize that as the introducing paragraph of A Tale of Two Cities, a classic novel by Charles Dickens. But there's a great tension in that classic paragraph between good and evil, and between love and hatred, between wisdom and folly, between light and darkness, and they seem to be equally matched in their struggle. It's a little bit how I feel over the time, this time of year. We are entering into the best of times, and yet, It is the worst of times. Of course, we've just come through the Thanksgiving holiday. How many have a Thanksgiving celebration yet to come? Anybody? Anybody have one more turkey dose? We're all done. Okay, well, good for you. But we've just come through this Thanksgiving season. And now, right before us, is the Advent and Christmas season. And during this time of year, we see such a contrast in our culture. Charity is going to rise to a tremendous level. Charity will be rising to the level highest of the year over the next month. And at the same time, consumerism and the need to, to, to uh, collect more things is never more prevalent than this time of year. Only a couple days ago, the, one of the highest shopping days of the year, statisticians predict that 50% of the population of the United States was out taking advantage of Black Friday deals. Family gatherings will abound in this time with gifts and food and laughter and fun. And at the same time, our country is reeling from the effects and is ravaged by continuing effects of a fractured family. One in four children will grow up in a home with no father. It affects poverty and crime and education and health. And at the same time, during this time, it's the best of times as spiritual light is shined upon every, every corner of our culture with, with the, with the celebrations that happen. And at the same time, our culture will fight in the courts and challenge with its protests. Only four days ago, the atheists successfully banned a nativity scene in Bethel, Connecticut. So here we stand. It's the best of times. And it's the worst of times. So here's my question this morning. How can we as God's people, how can we as the church make it the best of times? Can I be honest with you for a moment? That's a funny question, isn't it? Because you know I'm going to be, right? (laughs) What if you said no? (laughs) Over the years as I pastored in various churches, 
This season was very difficult for ministry. So busy and so much need at the same time. And that tension I describe is very real in our culture. And so how can we as God's people, I think God would like nothing best for us than to come through the season of Thanksgiving and enter into a time of Advent one week from today, making it the best of times. And I wonder this morning if Psalm 100, among others, bears some answers for us in that. Centuries ago, the early church fathers would feel that it's important to include this psalm in their worship. And so I want to focus on it just for a few moments. And I, I find two guiding thoughts in the Psalm 100 regarding thankful praise. And I've divided it into two parts. In the ways that we worship and then the reasons that we worship. And in the end, I hope we can walk away knowing that we're walking into a season of Advent and we're walking together as God's children, as this body of believers, and we do so with thankful hearts. I'm not going to reread it again. We've read it already. But if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms number 100. And then at the close, I'll recite it again. Verse 1 and 2, we find the way that we worship with thankful hearts as we worship in joyful song. It's very good for us to be silent in our worship. That's something we struggle with. But this Psalms encourages our worship to be filled with glad tidings, a glad utterance. The King James says to make a joyful noise. You might have different definitions of what noise means. I grew up in a musical family. The first mu- musical instrument that I ever played was the drums. <laughs> And I remember as a young boy, probably third grade, I had a snare drum. I had my own snare drum in my, in my room. And this was back in the days before if they had them, I didn't have it. Those, you know, they have those drum pads you can put on to practice with and it doesn't make as much noise. I didn't have that. And of course, you know, as a third or fourth grade boy, my, my goal would be to make that thing sing as loud as I could. <laughs> And I did. And I wonder now, looking back, if my mom and dad thought that was a, a, just a noise or a joyful noise. I don't know. I'd have to ask them. They were probably very glad when I switched over to the trumpet. <laughs> the Hebrew word here for the word noise is, or shouting carries the meaning of responding with a religious impulse or shout with joy. I wonder when was the last time you shouted for joy. We live in such a sports-driven culture, and I love sports. I love every kind of sports. I always find it interesting how it comes, when it comes to supporting our favorite team. We're never ashamed to stand up and say, you know, go team and wear our colors and talk about trash talk the other team and clap and go crazy, right? Yesterday, I'm a Michigan fan. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have special prayer here in a minute. There wasn't a lot of shouting going on in my house, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) When was the last time you shouted for joy? When we gather in a setting like this, do the divine attributes bring any sense of joy to your heart? I'm not talking about setting outside of your personality. We come, at least I do, I'm not going to speak for you, but I come from a a background in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition in southern Michigan Our experience was very stoic. 
There wasn't a lot of hand raising going on. Do you understand? And then there's other settings where I pastored that had a pilgrim holiness background and it wasn't uncommon for somebody to take a hanky and go walking for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? We don't see that a lot anymore and that's okay. But I wonder at times if we need to step outside just just a tad. Maybe it's nothing more than putting a smile on our face. C.S. Lewis said, when we gather to worship, it's the body that worships. It's not the individual. We worship as one. So don't come to worship with an attitude of, I'm not going to sing that song. Get in it because you're missing out with the body. Let's worship together with a holy impulse. And the psalmist says, worship with joy. Secondly, in verse 3, we see the reason. A reason for our thankful worship. He is the only true God. Psalm number 100, verse 3 says, No. That the Lord is God. Do you notice in your Bible that the word Lord is in all capital letters? When you see the word Lord in the Old Testament in all capital letters, it means that it is the proper name. It is the one proper name for God. In Hebrew, it is the word Jehovah. It means the existing one. You even find it in the account of of uh, creation. If you look back in Genesis chapter 2, it says the Lord created, and it was all capital The existing one was the one that created all these things. You know, we live in a culture where God's name is dragged through the mud. Have you noticed? The name of God is used for cursing and for exclamation of surprise. Even sometimes among His children, the name is used so much, so flippantly. But yet, the Bible tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous will run to it and they are safe. Throughout the scriptures we find that it is in the name of the Lord that enemies are scattered and His power comes down to help His people and people are delivered. In the name of the Lord, prophets stand and and people, friendships are anchored and they are restored. The temples were built in the name of the Lord. The truth is shared and help is found. In the name of the Lord, praises are offered and trust is placed in His name and songs are sung. The reason we worship is because He is the only true God. There's a movement today that wants to melt all of religion together. Have you noticed? And this is a solution in our culture that all roads will lead to heaven and we don't want anybody to be left out. And while I love to include everybody, the Bible doesn't support what they're trying to bring to us today. There is one God. He is the existing one, Jehovah. And He is the reason for our thankful praise. Another way of worship is, in verse number one, it says that worship is universal. It says, shout for the joy to, uh, shout for joy to the Lord, all of the earth. And so, even creation praises the Lord. It's a reoccurring theme in the Psalms. Psalm 96 says, let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. And Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Even the song we just sang by Thomas Chisholm, uh, the writer of that poem, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and that second verse is summer and winter, springtime and harvest. He recognized the faithfulness of God in creation. Charles Spurgeon in his Treasury of David said, every, In every land Jehovah's goodness is seen, therefore in every land should he be praised. Our culture will try to silence our thankful praise, but I 
Our creation will never be silenced. I wonder if you'll join in today. Another reason we find in verse 3 is that He created us and we belong to Him. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. This existing one. We are His creation. He put all things into place and He puts you into place. I wonder if we stopped and think about what it means for a human being such as us to be formed together in such a way that our personality and our gifts and our abilities and all that comes with being a human being was knit together by Jehovah. And that is who we've come to worship today. He created us and we belong to Him. Another one that we find, another way, is that we are to worship with grateful thankful gratitude. Worship with thankful hearts. And verse 4 says, give thanks to Him and praise His name. As we remember His mercy and His goodness, we remember all that He has done, then we come together and we worship with thankful hearts. There's no mention here of petitions or lamenting or our wants or our complaints. Only thankful praise. When was the last time you just spent time praising God? Our tendency is to come before Him with a list or an agenda, or the hospital report, or the things that, that, that are tearing us down. And surely God wants to hear all those things. But there's also a place in the heart of everyone who worships that we would come before Him with just thanksgiving and praise in our hearts. And I wonder if that's for this Advent season. Not that we don't come before Him with our petitions and concerns, but the first place we land is, Lord, we praise You, we thank You. Another reason that we worship is He is our guide and He is our shepherd. Verse 3 says, We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Scriptures tell us we know that He is the good shepherd. And we understand that a good shepherd knows how to care for His sheep. He makes sure that they're fed. He defends them in the face of danger. He leads them to green pastures and to clean water. He understands what they need and what makes them sick. He goes before them and makes the path safe for them. He is concerned for all the sheep and will leave them all just to find one. And so we worship today with thankful hearts because He is our guide and He is our shepherd. And one more reason we find in verse 5 is that the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So so one last reason for us worshiping today is His goodness and mercy never end. Steadfastness of the Lord is what draws us to Him. And so now as we we come and we worship together, we we are reminded of this fact from the book of Malachi that God never changes From the book of Hebrews, God is consistent throughout all time. And the book of James, God is good all of the time. From the book of Numbers, He doesn't lie. And is He true to His word? In the book of Lamentations, His love is never ending. In the book of Psalms and Hebrews, God will never change. Not only are His promises true, but they are constant. What do you know that will last forever? I think it's funny how we run to the latest phone. <laughs> if you saw my phone, you know that I don't do that. Because <laughs> it's got all these cracks on the screen because I dropped it too many times. But I'm amazed at how quickly technology changes. 
And whatever, whatever we stood in line for an hour and a half to buy on Friday is going to pass. <laughs> right? But God will never change. He'll never go out of style. There's never going to be an upgrade for the Lord, the existing one. And Lord, and folks, that ought to lead us to a place, regardless of the circumstances of life, of thankful hearts and thankful praise. The Lord is good. That raises a question. Is God good? Is he good? It's a common question in our culture today, a culture that's filled with violence. If God is good, if he's a good God, then how can he allow suffering and pain as it is happening around the world? This is another sermon for sure. So I hope you didn't have plans for lunch. <laughs> no, just a couple of thoughts on if, if God is good. I want to just make two statements. First of all, we need to understand that God sets the standard for good. Our tendency is to make good a comparison of others. I'm good because I'm better than my neighbor. Right? I'm good because I walk this way as opposed to this way as some others. I'm good because I'm involved in these activities as opposed to these activities. No, no. We are not good. We are good only in that God is good. He sets the standard for what is good. Thomas Manton said that God is infinitely good. He is the essence of all that is good. The second thing we need to remember is that God provides for us, for you and for me, the highest good. The angels we're going to hear about in the coming weeks thought that it was all good, all that God was doing, as they said in Luke chapter 3, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. As we experience the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life, both in this world and in the next, we are experiencing God's highest good. Paul wrote to the Romans, we know that God causes all things to work together for good who are called, who, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so the question is, God, good, why do we doubt that in our culture today? And here's the reasons we doubt. Because life is difficult. Life doesn't go the way we want it to. We face disappointments. We face sickness and heartache. We face failness, fail, failures and bitter experiences, and we face death. But you know, as we experience these things, it doesn't mean that God isn't good or that he doesn't care. It means that we live in a broken world. The scripture reminds us that we don't see things like God sees them. Someday, someday he'll open that window for us and we'll see clearly scripture promises that. But for now, perhaps with thankful hearts in the midst of turmoil and violence and difficulty and all the things that we face, maybe we simply need to trust him. The other thing it talks about in that last verse is his love endures. His love is everlasting. There's a preacher Preach a sermon about love, and after the sermon, a nine-year-old boy wrote him a letter, and, he, and the letter said, Pastor, I know that you said God loves everybody, but he's never met my sister. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his son. His love is everlasting. H.A. Ironside was a pastor and a theologian and an author. He was inspired by the ministry of D.L. Moody. One day, Ironside was sitting in a crowded restaurant, getting ready to eat his meal, and a man he didn't know came up and there was having a hard time finding a place to sit, and he asked if he could sit at his table. And of course, he said, sure. As his food came and it was time to eat, he did as he always did. He knelt, or he lowered his head and whispered a prayer, thanking God for what he had provided. And as he said amen and looked back up, the man was staring at him. And he said to him, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, do you have a headache? No. Well, is, is there something wrong with your food? No, he said, I am just, I was simply giving thanks to God for the meal that I'm about to have. And the man got a cynical smile on his face and he said, oh, you're one of those. I see. He said, I want you to know that I don't have to give thanks to anybody. I have everything I have by the sweat of my brow. I don't have to stop and give thanks. And when my food comes, I just jump right in. I don't have to give thanks. And Ironside said, shaking his head, he said, yes, you're like my dog. That's what my dog does. What kind of people are we going to be? Is this Advent season the best of times? (laughs) Or is it the worst of times? And I want to submit to you this morning that as we move forward into Advent, that we would be reminded to shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. He's good. And his faithfulness continues for all generations. Before we leave, I think it's important for us to look ahead to where we're headed. I think this is one way we make it the best of times. It doesn't happen just because I preach this sermon. It happens because we take what God has given us today, whatever that may be, we apply it in our lives and it changes the way we look at things. And so we walk from this place, I hope, with thankful hearts. And we walk back in next week and as the choir sings, we give thankful praise once again and again. And we're in our marketplace and somebody's ahead of us in, in the line at Walmart and the 20 or items are less and they've got 50 items. Help them unload that thing. 
Don't judge me. <laughs> You've been there. And when you're going down the, the bypass and somebody cuts you off and they tell you you're number one. <laughs> like pastor a few weeks ago, remember that? You whisper a prayer for that, smile and wave. All five fingers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's people like this right here that make it the best of times. And it's what's in here that makes the difference. And it's because of of times like this right here. And more times to come. And small group gatherings. And we share together in one accord. That we march forward in a culture that doesn't care. With thankful hearts. I want you to stand. And I want us to look forward to Advent by hearing God's word. And then we're going to sing together. And then we're going to go home with thankful hearts, right? Right? Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I want to close our service, just singing together this little chorus, O come, let us adore him. Let's sing it together. Let's lift it together, shall we? Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ. The Lord. Can we give Him glory? We'll give Him all the glory. We'll give Him all the glory. We'll give Him all the glory. Christ the Lord. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, give us thankful hearts today despite whatever difficulty we brought into this place or we may face in the weeks ahead. I pray this season of celebration, Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas and New Year's would be a time of celebrating together with thankful hearts. May we walk from this place and influence our culture for the good because we have encountered the one who is good, the existing one. God our Father. And so whether we're in the workplace or at home or here and worship together, give us a 
a thanksgiving in our hearts that would just burst forth with an impulse of religious divine joy. And Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that it would speak to each of us as you would see fit. And now to him who is able to keep you and to do more than you can ever imagine, Lord. To him be glory and honor and praise. We pray together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Before you leave, take time to greet those who are around you. We'll see you next week. God bless you all. You're dismissed.